right? At least, don't, at least we're not saying, are you glad to be in prison this morning, right? There, there are worse places you could be this morning, so uh, I'm glad that you chose to be with us. Uh, we're going to be going verse by verse. We're taking a trip uh, through the Gospel of John. These days, when you say you're taking a trip, you've got to be real careful. Uh, I'm not talking about the marijuana kind of trip, all right? Uh, not the drug trip. We're taking a trip through the Word of God. And uh, going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. Now, I mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. Uh, John, in particular, was written to confirm who Jesus Christ was. Now, I'm going to say that over and over and over. Some of you are probably like, man, why do you keep mentioning that? The reason I keep mentioning that is because John was written to confirm who Jesus Christ was. And one of the biggest issues uh, going on today now, you might think, well, there's this social issue, and, you know, there's the, the trans thing, and there's this and that, and, and uh, whether you've got the freedom to choose, whether you want to be vaccinated or not, there's all kinds of different issues in current events that people kind of get focused on. But I'm going to tell you the real issue today. It's a real simple one. It's who or what is the final authority. That's the real issue. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're looking at. In the home, that's the issue. In government, that's the issue. At work, that's the issue. And uh, listen, all kinds of people have all kinds of things to say about who Jesus was. You ever been in a conversation with someone and you, you give a verse of scripture and they go, that just doesn't sound like something a loving Jesus would say. Ever heard that? And then you kind of, then you actually open up the Bible and go, this is what Jesus said. And they're like, who is that? And it's like, exactly. He's the Jesus of the Bible. He's the one you don't really know. And so what we want to try to do in Sunday school is point people back not to uh, your religious background's ideology of who Jesus was, not your family's idea of who Jesus was, not society's idea of who Jesus was, but the Bible's, uh, 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 the Bible's record of who Jesus Christ is. Because listen, if you don't have a final authority, let's put it this way. If, if all you have is what you think someone else told you about, what someone else said about what someone else said, what you've got is you've got hearsay. All right? The Bible is not hearsay. These were eyewitnesses that were there to record what Jesus Christ said and did. This is the best way to learn who Jesus is. How many of you guys are saved this morning? If you're saved, raise your hand. You ought to know Jesus Christ better than anybody else. You know what Paul says? That I may know him. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Paul lost when he wrote that? No, he was not. He was already saved. When he says that I may know him, it was not so much, oh, I want to know him as my Savior. Here he knew him as a Savior. He wanted to go deeper and really know who Jesus Christ was. And, and this is the purpose of the study in the Gospel of John. All right, so open your Bibles, John chapter number 1, and we're going to read a, a couple of verses here starting off in verse number 16. And of his fullness, uh, actually, let's go back to verse 15. John bear witness of him. And cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by who? There you go. Amen. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, this morning we thank you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open up this book. God, thank you for the opportunity to sing a little bit this morning. And Lord, thank you for the kids being able to have junior church downstairs. And Lord, I pray they'd learn at a young age not to run from your presence. I know they're learning about Jonah. Lord, would you plant that, that seed and that thought into their hearts. God, help us this morning. We've got 
thoughts about work, we got thoughts about travel, we got thoughts about finances all floating in and out of our heads. God, would you help us to put those things aside? And Lord, would you help us to concentrate on your words? God, give us a stillness, just, just long enough, Lord, to, to get our, our thoughts wrapped around, uh, 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 Lord, some, some thoughts in regards to who you are. And Lord, I, I pray that we would, we would lead today, Lord, differently than we came. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Normally, this is our kids' Sunday school hour. Our teachers are taking a break right now. We're going to have a Sunday school kick back off in September. Uh, and so they're doing junior church at this time. But for us, we're still going through Sunday school, right? Uh, now, now, look, if you would, at verse number 16, it says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. I, I want to point out uh, the, the word fullness is important. All right? Now, a, a couple of things. When you got saved... All right, you got all of Jesus that you were going to get. That, that you, you did the moment you got saved. The Bible says that, that Jesus, right now, as far as your life is concerned, you can find the presence of God in this way. And it's found in the book of Colossians. We won't go there right now. But it says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so you got all of the Lord Jesus Christ that you were going to get when you got saved. You got all the Holy Spirit you were going to get when you got saved. All right, sometimes, however, you are more full or less full of the Spirit of God. Go to a Ephesians chapter 5 real quickly with me. Keep your hand there. Uh, and it, it says there, we just read it, um, of His fullness have all we received. And by the way, the world is a better place because of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you know how you know that? I'll put it to you this way. When the church is taken off of this planet and the world gets what it's been pushing for for a long time, a world without a gospel witness, and they'll have that for a brief period of time, but the Lord never leaves himself without witness, so even in the tribulation, there will be witnesses, amen? Uh, However, the world's going to experience a vacuum of Bible-believing Christianity when the church is taken out of here, and let me tell you something, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, when, When you, listen, you need to understand this, you look around the world, and you know how many hospitals, you know how many uh, children's homes, how many adoption centers, how many uh, uh, philanthropic uh, things that are done out in the world are done because of Christian influence? You take that out of the world, the world is not the same place. All right, let me ask you a question right now. If you were stuck downtown, and uh, let's just, it, for those that are kind of like, well, you know, church people, they're hypocrites. I, I get that. We're not, none of us are perfect, and we all struggle with sin. I get all of that. But if you're downtown, you're broken down, and your car is stuck next to an alley, and you got two people, two guys, two big dudes walking towards you, and you can't really make them out, and you're a lady by yourself downtown, and all of a sudden you hear them singing hymns and quoting scripture, do you feel a little bit better? Yes. Can I get a witness, all right? Yes. So, so you understand that you take, the, you take Christian influence out of this world, it's not pretty, all right? And so what I want you to understand is this, what God did when you got saved, he placed Christ inside of you, you choose how much of your life he fills. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5, talking about the word fullness, Ephesians chapter 5, look if you would at verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the what? Now you say, well, well that's, that's the Spirit of God, that's not Jesus Christ. Yeah, but that's who Jesus said would be left with you, and you choose how much of your life He fills, or how much of your life is filled with you. And if you quench and grieve the Spirit of God, the fullness that God wants to experience through your life by leading others to Christ, by being a gospel witness, by putting your flesh down and putting others first, all the things that God wants to do with your life, you're going to miss out on them. 
And it won't be God's fault. You say, why? He wants the fullness of your life so you can experience the fullness of His presence. And we decide how much of that we take in. All right, look if you would at Colossians chapter number 1. Now, let me give you that. That was the practical side of that word. Let me give you this from a doctrinal perspective. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. I know I've mentioned this before. Uh, how many of you guys are old enough to remember phone books? Raise your hand if you remember phone books, all right? Remember the old the yellow pages as let your fingers do the walking, all right? So this morning, that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be getting some aerobics with the fingers through your Bible, all right? Uh, Colossians chapter 1, look if you would at verse number uh, 18. And he, talking about Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church, all right? Now, if you're taking notes or you're, you're kind of paying attention to verses we're looking at, let me remind you there are two terms that are used for the body, for the church, all right? Not so much referring to a local church as much as all born-again believers. You are part of the body of Christ, all right? The Bible also refers to it as a bride, all right? Now, let me just say this much. Uh, some very, very, very well-meaning brethren uh, will say that only, uh, only Baptists are part of, uh, represent the, body, the bride of Christ. Let me just say right now, that's fooey. All right, that's a bunch of nonsense. Let me tell you why. Do you actually think Jimmy Carter is going to have an upper hand on Martin Luther, the great reformer, when we get to heaven because he was a Baptist? No way, man. That's not how that works. Your label doesn't make you a part of the body of Christ. Whether or not your born-again believer makes you part of the body of Christ. All right, uh, uh, look at Colossians 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 18 again. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, I want you to notice this, in all things, he might have the what? You know what that means? In everything in your life, he comes first. Does he come first on your calendar? Does he come first with your finances? Does he come first with your relationships? Does he come first with how you make decisions? We're going to look a lot about decision-making in the morning's message, but he ought to come first. Look at verse number 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, that's Christ, should all what? fullness dwell. You say, what is that, what is that fullness that he's talking about? Uh, look, look back, if you would, at verse number uh, 15. It says this about Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. There's been a lot of talk as we've gone through the gospel of John about Jesus Christ being God, all right, and yet also being 100% man. The Bible calls that the mystery of godliness, God manifests in the flesh. And, and what a mind-blowing thought that, that God uh, needed his diaper change, right? Well, God didn't, but, but Jesus Christ, the, the baby, did. But he was God, but he was man. I mean, that stuff blows your mind, right? I, imagine Jesus running through the house like a toddler would. There's nothing sinful about running through a house all right, until your parents tell you no. Imagine Jesus running through the house and, and, and Mary goes, all right, that's enough. You got to slow down. Yes, ma'am. She just told God manifest in the flesh to quit running through the house. Didn't that blow your mind? You parents have kids. Didn't that blow your mind a little bit? And, but, but imagine having a child that every time you told them what to do, they said, yes, ma'am, and yes. That's every parent's dream, right? Amen, Amen right? All these, all these moms having babies right now, you know. Uh, uh, I mean, but, but what an amazing thought. He is the image of the invisible God. Why is God called invisible? Look at Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter number one. That's how you learn the Bible, by the way, just going from one passage to another. Uh, Romans chapter number one. Now, the problem that mankind has, at least the alleged issue that they have with God, is they can't see Him. So they go, well, we don't believe in Him. 
And uh, now that, that's kind of hypocritical because we also understand this, uh, that I can't see George Washington. I can't see Abraham. Well, those are people in history. So is Jesus Christ. All right. And so was Muhammad and so is Buddha. The difference is Jesus Christ didn't stay a rotting corpse. He came up from the dead. All right. So you're, you're dealing with the image of the invisible God when you deal with Jesus Christ. Uh, look at Romans chapter number one, Romans chapter one. And uh, look, if you would, at verse. This is the, the, the great passage, one of the greatest passage, uh, passages in your Bible about what, what about the heathen? What about the people that have never heard? What about all that stuff? You ever witness to somebody and they go, what about the heathen in Africa? Anybody ever experienced that? I always turn around and go, what about the heathen in Aurora? <laughs> Uh, I mean, forget Africa. What about you? You're, you know what all of us are without Jesus Christ? All of us are heathen. The, the New Testament word that describes us outside of Israel is the word Gentile. You know what the word Gentile is? It's another word for heathen. <laughs> and now, now, the question is this. What about those that don't know? Well, the Bible lays out for us. You've got three witnesses, all right? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, all right? So witness number one is creation. You've got creation that in Romans 1 talks about that. And, and, and uh, witness number two in Romans, in Romans chapter 2 is your conscience. And witness number three in Romans chapter 3 is the commandments of God, the scriptures, right? But look at Romans 1. Look, if you would, at verse number, uh, let's see, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in what? It's not that people don't have truth. It's that when they get it, they don't hold it the right way. They treat it like anything else. Let me just say this right now. If you treat this book in your life like any other book, guess what? It's going to have the impact like any other book. Amen. Yeah. And you know what a lot of preachers do? They treat it just like that. Well, this scholar says this, and this scholar says that. And let me just tell you right now, I don't care as much what the scholar says as much as I do what God himself said. Thank God I've got a copy to find out what he said. And, and, and you need to understand this. Uh, it, it's much better to go to the source. This is the source. All right. Now, now look what it says here in verse number uh, uh, 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest where? All right. That's talking about your conscience. But then look at verse 20. For the invisible things of him. Now, we just read in Colossians that, that God, the, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, God the Father... All right. Uh, he says this in so many words to Moses. If, if, if a man saw me face to face in all of my glory, he couldn't live. All right. So what does God do? He tells Moses, you'll see the backside of me. You won't see me in, you, in the body that you're in right now. You will not see me or else you'd melt away. All right. And, and so and so that's what God tells Moses back there in Exodus. When when Moses is going, show me your glory. And God goes, I can't show you everything because if I showed you everything, you wouldn't survive. So you know what God does? Because God wants to interact with man as closely as possible. He brings himself and submits himself into a human body, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, in Romans, well, look at the, the wording here in verse 20. For the invisible things of him, talking about God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. And what's the next word? Now, you may not know that word, real, uh, you may not be real familiar with that. That's another word for, we use the word Trinity, the, the uh, God, uh, 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 the three in one, if you will. All, right? All of that is revealed in nature. It's revealed in your conscience. It's revealed in the commandments of God. And when you get in the commandments or the scriptures, you learn about Jesus Christ and you see clearly that he is the physical manifestation 
of God. When you talk about God revealing himself to man, you see that in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time to get into all of this. Go to Colossians chapter 2, back to Colossians. But uh, in the Old Testament, and maybe we'll do this some other time, uh, there's a real fancy word. It's, uh, the word is called theophany. Uh, but if it's a manifestation of God before Jesus Christ came to this world. And oftentimes, when you read your Old Testament, and it talks about the angel of the Lord appeared to somebody, uh, what that is, is that's literally who Jesus Christ would have been before he was incarnate. Now, you say, why is that? Because an angel of something is a manifestation of that thing. Uh, Over there in the Gospels, I know I'm probably going kind of over some folks' heads right now, but over there in the Gospels, uh, Jesus talks to the disciples. He goes uh, about, about children. He says, their angel doth behold my father's face. And that's where we get the idea of a guardian angel. And I wouldn't preach against it or anything like that. But, but I don't think that's what exactly is being said. There. I think what it is is that there's a, a manifestation, and I can't explain all of that, uh, someone that, that represents the child down here up there. All right? And, and they're before the Lord. Well, you flip that around when God wants to represent himself to mankind before Jesus Christ is here. Who does he send? The angel of the Lord. Matter of fact, uh, we'll read Colossians 2, and we'll go back to Genesis to prove what I'm talking about, because some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, Colossians 2, uh, look at verse 9, for in Him, talking about Jesus Christ, in Him, one of the, one of the greatest uh, 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 phrases you could find in your New Testament is, is this phrase, in Him or in Christ, all right? Uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, amen? That's a promise of God. If you're in Christ, you're new. All right. Uh, so look at it. it. Says this: For in Him, talking about Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the what? Fullness. Fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if you want to see God in human form, you want to see God manifest Himself to mankind. You're going to find that through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, "He that has seen Me has seen the Father. I and My Father are." One, right? Now, now, go back to Genesis, this whole angel of the Lord thing. I won't take too much time on this, but Genesis chapter, oh, let's see here. I believe it's in around 32. Genesis chapter 32. And uh, when you've had a Bible for a while, this starts happening to it. So this is Genesis 32 in my Bible. Uh, Genesis 32. Uh, look, if you would, at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And uh, I'm not preaching this right now, but I'll just throw this out there. If you ever really want to get to know God, sometimes you've got to get alone. Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled the man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him... Now, now honestly, if you're reading through your Bible, you're like, this is just a weird story. Some guy shows up, and they're like... I, in my mind, it's kind of like... <laughs> Nacho Libre with Esqueleto, like, they lock arms, you know, and they, they just look at each other and they just start wrestling. Like, it doesn't tell you much about what happens prior. That all of a sudden, Jacob is there, and there's the, this angel that shows up, and they start wrestling. And it calls this angel, this person, a man, and they wrestle until the breaking of the day when he saw, verse 25, that he, Jacob, prevailed not against him, this man. He, the angel, the man, touched the hollow of his, Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. All right, you say, who said that? The angel. But then Jacob says, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said to him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for a prince hast thou, for as a prince 
Hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed? And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he didn't give him the name, by the way, and he blessed him. He just asked him, Why are you asking about my name? And then, then he takes off. Now look at what Jacob says in verse 30. This is interesting. This ought to get your attention. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Now let me ask you a question. If you're God and you're allowing this to be written in Scripture, wouldn't you start, kind of interrupt Jacob and go, Ah, uh-uh, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. That wasn't me. That was someone else. Let me tell you how I know that God would do that. Because uh, in, in one place, uh, whenever Peter uh, gets a chance to, uh, 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 or rather, they, they start worshiping Peter, he goes, no, 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 I'm just a man like you are. When the, whenever the, the individual in the book of Revelation worships the angel that delivers the message to, to John, uh, that person, and may, maybe it's Daniel, we don't know, you know what he says? Get up, for I am also a man as you are. I'm just a servant just like you are. Right? So I have a feeling that if, if God found this to be an error, the Lord would have stopped it and would have said, you got it wrong, Jake, you got it wrong. But he didn't. So let me ask you a question. If Jacob saw God face to face and God calls this person a man that's wrestling with Jacob, what is that? I'll tell you what that is. That is, that is. that is a manifestation of God before Jesus Christ is here physically incarnate as a baby growing up to be a man. So throughout your scriptures in the Old Testament, people will ask all the time, where was Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, he shows up a number of times. Uh, over there, and I'll have you go there, go back to um, uh, John, John chapter 1. Over there in uh, the book of Daniel, anybody remember the story where the Hebrew boys are thrown into the fire? Look at John chapter 1. Hebrew boys are thrown into the fire. And as they're thrown into the fire, there's three of them that are thrown in, but there's a fourth one that shows up. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say? He says, the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. All right, so that's an interesting verse there. It kind of gives you an, a, a, a little bit of a window into the idea that Jesus was always there. He just hadn't been born as a baby until the New Testament. He will manifest himself to people, and in the Old Testament, that revelation will be called the angel of the Lord. That's another Bible study for another time. Look at John chapter 1, and look, if you would, at verse number 17. John 1, verse 17. Now, the Bible says you ought to rightly divide the Word of God. And if you don't rightly divide the Word of God, your, your theology will look like a soup sandwich, all right? What I mean by that is you will have all kinds of contradictions, and things just aren't going to make a lot of sense. Uh, the Bible, by, by the way, is a spiritual book. The words of God are spiritual nature, which is why when a lost person picks up the Bible and they go, I can't understand it. Listen, even if you update the these and the thous, that doesn't change the nature of the words of God. They're still spiritually based, meaning until the author of the book is inside of you, this is just not going to make sense. And so the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. But once you're saved, the Spirit of God resides within you. And listen, as complicated as the Bible may seem sometimes, one of the greatest keys to understanding the Bible is called rightly dividing the word of truth. Look at John chapter 1, verse number 17. Now, if, if, if you struggle with the idea that God deals with different people at different times in different ways, uh, make at least this distinction. John 1, verse 17, for the law was given by who? All right, now that, that law is not necessarily your civil law today. It's the law of God. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, right? Uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. That, that's the law he's talking about. For the law was given by Moses, but watch this. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, 
I want to point up here, uh, normally we've got a a board I'll write things on, but uh, you know what? i got a PowerPoint, so we're just going to use that, right? Uh, So uh, these are different covenants that you'll find throughout the Old Testament, right? You say, what are those? Well, God uh, talks to a man after sin. Before sin, there's a covenant, it's called the Edenic Covenant. God says you can do whatever you want, just don't eat that fruit. So what does man do? He eats the fruit, right? Uh, You ever tell your kid, you parents of little ones, hey, you can play with this, but don't touch this. Automatically, the eyes light up and they're like, <laughs> right? You, you learned that way back in the beginning in Genesis, right? So, so God says that, they blow it, and then God goes, okay, uh, let's move on to the next covenant. And God uh, talks to Adam, he says, okay, I want you to have dominion over the earth, but because of sin, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, and you ladies are going to have uh, uh, pain and travail and, child, and, and bearing children, all right? So that's the Adamic covenant. Then there's an Noahic covenant. You say, what is that? That's God telling a man to build a boat and get inside and trust him. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you get saved today by building a boat? Absolutely not. The only parallel between you and Noah is faith. That much is there. All right? Noah had to believe God. When God says it's going to rain and there's never been rain before and, and for 100 years he's building that boat and everybody's making fun of him, Noah has to live by faith and say, I don't care what all you people say. God told me this is going to happen. I believe God. All right, and so that's the Noahic covenant. Then there's the Abrahamic covenant. You say, what is that? Okay, so what God does, he goes, okay, I'm giving my, my truth to this man. He needs to pass it on to his children. Well, you get to Genesis chapter six, six chapters in the Bible, and God's like, you guys messed everything up. I got to drown the whole thing out, right? And so there's the, the Noah story. Then after that, uh, God finds a man named Abraham, and he chooses Abraham because he knows, and this is mentioned in Genesis chapter 17, I believe, maybe 18, where he says, I know this man, he, how he will command his children after him, all right? And so God deals with Abraham, he goes, you know what, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and uh, all you need to do is by faith follow me and leave your home, all right? Uh, several hundred years later, uh, those people had become a great nation, in the nation of, and they, they were found in Egypt. They turn into slaves, and God says, okay, I want Moses to bring them out of Egypt. And once they come out, God goes, okay, now that you're following me, I want you to know how the rules, how everything's going to work. Now that I brought you out of slavery, and I have redeemed you by the blood of a lamb. Sound familiar? All right, now that I've done that, I want to give you some instruction on how to live. So the law came by Moses. There's that Mosaic covenant. You say, what's the Davidic covenant? God makes a deal with David. He goes, uh, basically says this. Uh, listen, forever, there will for, uh, there'll be an eternal throne where someone from your seed will sit on your throne. And we know who the fulfillment of that is, is Jesus Christ, amen? Because they call him the son of David, right? So there are these different covenants through the Bible, but I want to point out that, that if you were to divide the Bible, simply at least in two parts, we've got Old Testament, we've got New Testament. Can we agree on that much, right? You got the law, then you've got grace, uh, an old, old-time preacher, a uh, very old-time preacher named Lester Roloff. Who knows who that is? Uh, preached a message years ago. Talk, I think it was called Dr. Grace. Is that what it is? Yeah, there. Dr. Great message uh, on the idea of the law being uh, no longer being the, your guide for salvation. The law does have a place even today, and I'll prove that to you, but you are not under the law because you are in Christ. That's a distinction we make between old and and New Testament. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter number 8. Hebrews chapter 8. There's a, a lot of people, I believe this, uh, and, and I'm not trying to throw stones or, or pick on 
Uh, God knows we are an imperfect church, and every church you will ever go to for the rest of your life will be imperfect. Can I get a witness? You know why? Because it's, it's a bunch of sinners, all right? Uh, ideally, hopefully, safe sinners that make up the majority of the church, uh, but sinners nonetheless. However, I'll say this much, uh, you need to get into a church where you're taught the Bible. And I'll tell you what's going on. A lot of churches, they're not getting it, so a lot of Christians are kind of like, man, uh, okay, I've learned, you know, the, the, the worship songs for today. I know the worship songs really well, and I get about a 15-minute devotional, and then we go home. And I don't know a lot of Bible. And then someone comes up to me and they say, would you like to go deeper? And I go, yes. And they start teaching me stuff. I'm like, man, I haven't learned any of this stuff before. And then six months into it, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. That's how that happens. All right. Another one that's really popular today is is this idea of messianic uh, Judaism, which is, okay, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we have to keep the law. Can I say this right now? That's not biblical. That's not New Testament. Uh, the law is there for a reason. I will show you what that reason is, but I want you to understand, you are not, uh, I would love to say, if you do this, one particular sin, you lost your salvation. I wish I could. Some of you guys would probably fly a little bit more straight, right? Include, myself included. But, but that's not Bible. That's not sound doctrine. All right, look at Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, look if you would at verse number uh, 1. Uh, messianic, and I'm not trying to, again, you might know someone and go, well, they're great people. I know some people. We got friends that believe this stuff, and they're amazing people. I'm not saying they're bad people. Just because someone's a good person doesn't mean that what they believe is, is right, okay? Someone could believe the wrong thing and be an outstanding person. Let me just say this right now. 95% of my family in Puerto Rico is Roman Catholic. It doesn't mean they're automatically lost because they're Catholic, just, just like because you're a Baptist, you're not automatically saved, all right? However, can I say this? If you actually go from cradle to grave believing what the Catholic Church says about what you must do to be saved, you will believe that it's on you to earn your way to heaven in addition to what Jesus Christ did for you, and that will put you in a bondage, and you will not be born again. You'll be lost in your own self-righteousness. All right, But, but that doesn't mean they're bad people. You get that? They can be amazing. As a matter of fact, if I can be honest with you, some of them live better lives than born-again Christians I know. All right? So let, let's be honest about that. But look, but look, what I want you to get is this. You are not under the law. Okay? Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. Now, the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. <laughs> uh, whoever's writing this is kind of laying out a, a, a long thought, and he's saying, okay, uh, here, let me just give you a little bit of a recap. All right? Here's the recap. Uh, we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. you believe that? That's your savior, man. That's awesome. <laughs> a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. He's talking about a heavenly uh, a tabernacle that exists up there. It's where God's throne is at right now. That's the third heaven. It's what the Bible describes as the third heaven. Look what he says in verse 2. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, uh, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man, talking about Jesus, have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the what? Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. You see, when when you go into reading Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and you're like, why does God care so much 
about the kind of wood that's used to make this thing, how many tatchets, the gold, the loops, the poles, the staves. You're like, who can, you ever read your Bible? Let's just be, I don't want to be blasphemous, but you ever read your Bible and go, why does this matter? Why does this matter to God? Why does he care? And if you are not, if you've never had that thought, it's probably because you have never read Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But when you do read it, you're like, what does this matter? What does this all have to, and what all that was, was it was a picture down here of what God has up there. And so it mattered to God. Listen, by the way, it's a great, great practical lesson. Just because you don't get why it matters doesn't mean it doesn't matter. When you're a kid and you're, and you're a parent, you're talking to your kid and you go, hey, I need you to do this. Why? Yeah. Now, now listen, when they're, when they're 25, you know, 20 years old, that conversation may be a little bit different. But whenever, I keep raising the bar. I said 20, not 25, all right? Well, I got a 20-year-old right there. But, but regardless of, when they're younger, all right, you know what the answer should be? Because dad said so. They're not ready to understand all of that stuff. If you can get them to follow and obey and submit, that's a Bible word a lot of people don't like. If you can get them to do that, guess what? When you get older, you'll have the kind of relationship with them that you should so you can break it down a little bit more in depth. But you know what you have right now? You've got a generation that doesn't even do that. All right? Now, now listen, you, you look at what God does. You go, I don't get it. Why does God do it? There's always a reason for what God does. If you don't understand it, just go with it anyways. That's called faith, all right? And so God tells us these things that God gave to Moses were a picture of things up there. Let's keep reading, though. Look what it says here in verse number 6. After all this was made, and Moses got the pattern for the construction plans for the tabernacle, if you will, from God on that mountain. That's what's mentioned in verse 5. But look at verse 6. But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, by much, how much also he is the mediator of a what? It's a better covenant. Now, listen, I didn't write that. God did. You know what that means? This one, the new one's better than the old one. Anybody ever get a new car and the smell, right? Oh, that smells amazing. And then you have kids, and then it smells like cheeseburgers in like a month, right? Cheeseburgers and diapers, like, okay, no more food in the car, right? There's something about something new, just that new feeling. Listen, when you, when you get on the, the New Testament side of the cross, you know what it is? It's a new feeling. It's, it's, you know what, I don't have to keep bringing a sacrifice every single week to atone for my sins. Anyone that wants to go back under the Old Testament law, here's what you have to understand. You lose out on eternal security. You know what eternal security is? Once you're saved, you're always saved. Now you go, well, I don't believe that. Oh, okay, that's, that's fine, free country. But let me just say this much. When you got saved, Colossians 2 mentions the fact that God came in through the Holy Spirit and separated the old you, the flesh, from the new you, Christ in you, in your soul. Thank God for that. Because if it wasn't for that, we would have already lost our salvation a million times over. Here's what I learned about people that think they can lose their salvation. More times than not, what they really mean is, you probably lost your salvation, but I'm okay. (laughs) That's usually what that means. But if you go back under the Old Testament law, you lose your eternal security, and here's why. The reason is this. In the Old Testament, they would have to, every single time there was a sin committed, there was a sacrifice matched to that sin, and you'd have to bring that animal, let's just call it a lamb for, for one particular offering, and you bring that lamb, and that lamb's blood would be shed, and your sins would be covered. But they wouldn't be gone. Aren't you glad your sins are gone? <laughs> That's a blessing. That's the difference between Old Testament and, and listen, we spent months talking about that as we went through the book of Romans. I'm not going to go through all that again, but look at Hebrews chapter 9. 
one chapter over to the right, Hebrews chapter 9, he calls it a better covenant. So it, it is not to disregard the Old Testament. It is not that you don't pay attention to it, and it's not that you don't learn from it, but you are not under the law. Listen, if you, want to, if you want to take some of the dietary laws from Leviticus and you want to follow those for dietary reasons, God bless you, nothing wrong with that. But if you go the next step and go, this is my righteousness, by keeping these dietary laws, I am righteous before God, that's not sound New Testament doctrine. Because your righteousness is in Christ, it's not in what you do. All right, look at uh, Hebrews 9, verse number uh, 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. By the way, if you were to, to take a cross-reference to that, you could uh, put in there Daniel chapter number 12 that talks about a stone that comes out of heaven cut without hands, right? And that's talking about Jesus Christ because he was not made of man. He was born of a virgin, right? Look at verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained what? Ah, eternal redemption. You know what that means? I don't have to worry about this sin next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after. Listen, if I get, if I, when I sin now, do you know what I do? I go directly to the throne of my father and I say, Father, I have sinned. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanseth us from all sin. All right. I don't have to bring a physical sacrifice over and over and over and I've got to be honest with you, I think we take this for granted. Because if you look at what they had to do in the Old Testament, man, I've heard Christians say, I wish I was alive back then to see God do this and that. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You are glad that you are where you are, all right? You go, I, I just get to learn from God through the Bible. The Bible says of that process, it is a more sure word than if you were on top of a mountain hearing the voice of God. That's what Peter said under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter chapter 1. Do you believe that or not? If you believe that, one of the things you ought to do in light of that is go, thank God I'm no longer under the law. <laughs> now, now let's keep reading. Look what, you, look what he says here in verse uh, 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, and watch this in verse 15, and for this cause, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the what? New Testament. New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the what? Do you, know, do you realize that until he died, that's why, by the way, I, don't, I won't go into this all uh, right now exhaustively, but that's why in the Old Testament they didn't go directly to heaven. How many of you guys know that? They went to the heart of the earth. They went to paradise. And then the Bible says he that uh, ascended was also he that descended first in the lower parts of the earth. And he that ascended led captivity captive. He led them out of there. Now look what it says here in verse number 16. For where a testament is there must also necessity be the death of the testator. So you know what that is? That's telling you that the New Testament, as far as God is concerned, begins with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was in place up until that point. The law was in place. And you know what God calls it? He calls this New Testament a better covenant. Uh, look at Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians 3. Matter of fact, you know what? Time out. Go to Romans 15. Go there first. This is in my, in my notes, but go to Romans 15. 
Romans 15. We'll add libbing here. Romans 15. And look, if you would, at verse number 4. I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, if all that stuff's old stuff. What do I got to read it? Can I just skip all that old stuff and just get to the new stuff? Well, it's all there for a reason. It's there to teach you a lot of things practically for your life. Uh, even though you're not under the law, it doesn't mean you can't learn lessons from reading those Old Testament scriptures. Uh, look at Romans 15, look at verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our what? You're learning. Uh, that's one of the reasons you ought to come to church is to learn. You, listen, I don't, I don't have to say this. Church is not for your entertainment. It's for your edification. Every once in a while, if it gets entertaining, praise God. But, but for the most part, understand, you are to come to be edified, to be established in the word of God so that you can face the things that you're going to face in your life. All right. The things are written aforetime, written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what? So the Old Testament is there for you to have hope in the life that you're living right now. Look at Galatians chapter 3. So it's there for a practical reason. You need to be familiar with those Old Testament stories. You ought to learn about how God looks at authority with how David handles his position of authority versus how Saul handles his position of authority. Uh, You ought to learn about the fact that uh, when you get ahead of God like Abraham did with Hagar and that whole Sarah thing and how Abraham and Sarah didn't trust God and they got ahead of God, you getting ahead of God will ruin your life. And it can follow you for the rest of your life. These are practical things you learn from the Old Testament. Uh, We're going to learn about uh, the path to greener grass. Guess where we're going to learn that from today? The book of Genesis. There are practical things for you to learn there, but it doesn't mean you are under the law doctrinally. Look at Galatians chapter 3, and uh, this shows you the purpose of the law uh, today. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by what? By faith, not by the law. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a what? So there's that there. It's showing you, look, that law was there for a reason. And can I can I apply this practically? When you got saved, didn't you have to be convinced you were a sinner first? I mean, listen, if you're not a sinner, then there's no need to be saved. Right. You're you're good. Right. But if you're a sinner, that means you are in need of a savior. Well, what is it that convinces you of sin? I'll tell you what convinces you of sin. I'll sit down with a young man. I'll say, hey, let me ask you a question. You ever looked at a girl? Uh, if I ask a young man, are you a sinner? I don't know. You ever look at a girl, lust after her in your heart? Uh, bingo. Then I'll say, okay, you know what Jesus says about that? You've already committed adultery. You ever told a lie? Well, yeah, everyone li- No, but have you told Yeah, I've lied. Then you're a lying adulterer. You ever stole anything? Well, everyone's, uh, not everyone. Have you stole some? Yeah, I stole some. Okay, you're a lying, stealing adulterer. Do you really feel good about yourself? And you compare yourself to a man that never sinned. Now understand, you know what the law does? The law can't save you. All the law does is it shows you that you're broken. It shows you that you can't match a perfect standard. The standard from the Old Testament is the law. The fulfillment of that standard is a person named Jesus Christ. So he becomes the new standard. But what the law can do is it can be your schoolmaster. It can show you your need for Jesus Christ. But you're no longer under that law. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Look, if you would, at verse number 13. Galatians 3, verse 13. I would, I would uh, challenge anyone that's trying to go back under the law. I would ask you why. Why would you? The only thing I could think of is someone feels the need to be self-righteous. Like, I need to show how good I am by doing these things. 
You ought to be living a good life for Jesus Christ. Listen, when you got saved, you ought to work out your own salvation. Not work for it, work it out. It's inside of you. It needs to come out, right? Just like some of you come to church in the morning, uh, Sunday mornings, and you're kind of like, I've got the joy, 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 joy. Whatever you're talking about needs to come out, like for real, all right? You got saved. God put your salvation in you. It needs to be worked out. But that doesn't mean that that is your righteousness, Your righteousness as a New Testament born-again believer is Jesus Christ. Christ in you. It's not you keeping the law. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ, that's Jesus Christ, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Can I show you this? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know what that means? You're not under it anymore. Look at uh, chapter 2, the chapter right prior to it. Chapter 2, look at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not... If I ask you, are you saved? Yep. Why are you saved? I'm trying to live a good life. This verse is for you, if that's how you think. All right? Look at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified... Not justified means you're not made clear of guilt in the sight of God by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Why? For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, look down, if you would, at verse number 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the what? If it it does come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, if you can get to heaven and earn your righteousness by living a good life, by, uh, by, by keeping the commandments, Christ died for no reason. Okay? And, and the reason why, under the law, yes, that was their righteousness. That's, that's found several times in the Old Testament. That was their righteousness, keeping the law. All right. Guess what? They didn't have the same kind of salvation you do. They didn't experience the new birth like you do. Thank God for that. Thank God that we're on this side of the cross. All right. Listen, on this side of the cross, you know you can put your head on your pillow at night and go, I know where I'm going when I die. And if I snore too many times, my wife might kill me. So thank you, Lord, that I know where I'm going when I die. Amen. So, so you, you, you understand, they didn't have that, so why would you want to go back under the law? Look at one of the place, uh, look at Acts chapter 13. Acts, I said one of the place, I lied. Uh, two, two places, this is the second of the, of the, of, of the first of the second, I got that backwards. Uh, Acts 13, look if you would at verse number 39. Is this making sense? Yeah. All right, so the law is there to show you things about you, and the law is there to show you you're broken, uh, and the law is there to show you that you don't meet the standard. But you are not, once you're saved, to live under the law. Uh, look at Acts chapter 13. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, not you, not by your works, by him all that believe, there's your faith, are justified from all things. Isn't that great? Uh, from which you could not be justified by the what? You couldn't be justified the same way under the law like you can under Christ. And, and so listen, let me, let me just say it again. Uh, by the law, go back to John chapter 1, by the law came, uh, by, by Moses came the law, excuse me, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. All right, now there's a distinction that's made there. We'll close with verse number 18, and we'll talk about seeing God, all right? Verse number 18, no man has seen God at any time. 
the only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Next week we'll talk about seeing God and how someone can see God. And and we've already kind of hinted on this, but if you want to see God, you have to come through Jesus Christ. All right? Uh, A lot of people will say, well, I believe in your God, I just don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, there's a problem with that because if you want to get to my God and the Bible, the, the God of the Bible, you must today come through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to open up. Does anybody have any questions about what we talked about today, this morning? Now we'll close in a word of prayer. Any questions? Going once, going twice. Yes, sir, Javen. By following the law? Yeah. Not exactly. Um, go to... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, real quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, I think what you're getting at is by living the right life or by following the Lord, you can, you can gain rewards in heaven. And that, in a general statement, is true, but it's, it's not exactly stuck with the idea of the law. All right? Um, so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a final judgment called the great white throne judgment, and if you're saved, your sins will not be judged there, thank God. But you, as a born-again believer, go to something called the judgment seat of Christ, which is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and the way that that's judged is the opportunities that you had to serve the Lord. What did you do with those opportunities? Why did you do what you did and why did you? Let me give you an example. Let's say that someone gets up here and they sound like my basset hound howling at 1 a.m. in the morning when they sing a special, all right? And they don't sound great, but they're doing what they're doing for God, and they love God, and they're big smile on their face. Guess what? They get a reward for that. Maybe not from you. You may not want to clap or say amen, but God is like, I like that. That's great. Because they did it with the right heart, and they did it with the right motive. Let's say someone gets up, and they have the greatest voice, the most amazing voice, and they can do this. And they move the microphone away. Just at the right time, and they sound amazing. But, but they're doing it so you go... Man, look at that voice. Isn't that amazing? They get zero at the judgment seat of Christ for that particular moment. Does that make sense? Uh, look at First Corinthians chapter 3. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 13, or verse uh, 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, the foundation is Christ himself, mentioned in the verse prior, gold, silver, precious stones, those are elements that will last, wood, hay, and stubble, those are things that will be burnt up. If every man's work shall be made manifest... For the day, that's called the day of Christ, or the day of the Lord Jesus, that's called the judgment seat of Christ, shall declare it, because it, that means your work, the it is your work, shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's what? All right, not, not, it's not your soul being, your soul going in a fire, but the things that you did on this earth for Jesus Christ, and the opportunities that God gave you, what did you do with them, and what did you not do with them, and most importantly, why? The motive behind your, your choices is what, is what God's going to look at. You say, how do you know that? At the end of that verse, he says, uh, every man's work of what sort it is. In other words, why did you do what you did or why did you not? Why did you join that church? Why did you want to get, why did you get baptized? Uh, why did you give that person a tract? Why did you not give them a tract? Why did you sing that song? Why did you not sing that song? Uh, why did you choose to volunteer for this thing? Why did you not choose to? God's going to look at that and go, okay, I want to see why you did what you did. And you get rewards for that. But it's not so much tied to the law as much as the opportunities that God gives you in this life to serve Him once you're a believer. Does that make sense, Chapman? Amen? Any, anybody else? Yes, sir. Uh, is there a verse in the New Testament that says that 
a verse in the New Testament dismissing the dietary laws. I, I, yeah, it does. It does. I would say probably the, the, the verses we just went over. Uh, and let me give you one more. Look at Acts 15. Acts chapter 15. That's the second one I was going to go to, and I didn't. Acts chapter 15. So here's what's going on in the early church. There are people coming in saying, you got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the Old Testament dietary laws. You've got to worship on the Sabbath. You've got to basically do things like we did in the old days. And, um, and so there's this big kind of division within the church about, are we still under the law or are we not, including dietary uh, laws? Look at Acts chapter 15, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, 7. And when Peter had been much dis- when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by what? Not by keeping the law. Now, therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? In other words, we couldn't even keep the law perfectly. Why are you going to try to get these Gentiles who don't know a thing about it to get under the law? They don't, we grew up with it, and we couldn't keep it. That's what he's saying. Now, look what happens here in verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Now, if you go down a little bit further, uh, look down around, uh, oh, let's see here. Verse number 20, or verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which are from among the Gentiles or turn to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols, no idolatry, and from fornication, everybody... Got that one. And from things strangled and from blood. He doesn't mention anything about dietary laws. What he says is this. He says you shouldn't drink blood mainly because it's associated with satanic sacrifices all through the Old Testament and even till today. The drinking of blood is something that just God has forbidden under every covenant. Uh, Before the law was given, it was told to Noah. Uh, After the law was given, it was told to Moses. Under New Testament uh, 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 Christianity, you're not to drink blood. But that's it. He doesn't tell you. You got. Matter of fact, uh, we won't go there because it's take of time. But go read Acts chapter twelve later on. And in Acts twelve, Peter, there's this basket, this this uh, blanket, if you will, that comes down from heaven. And there's all these creeping, crawling uh, critters in there. And the Lord tells Peter in a vision, eat all that stuff, snakes and all kinds of that under the law they couldn't eat. And Peter's like, not so, Lord. Uh, God, I've never eaten anything that was unclean. You know what God says to him? Uh, that which uh, uh, that which is blessed by God, call not thou unclean. In other words, under the New Testament, if it's if it's uh, uh, received through faith and by thanksgiving, praying over your food, it's why we pray over our food. You can eat it. All right. The exception would be blood. Don't drink blood. Outside of that, man, you know, bratwurst, lechon asado. You know, uh, 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 what is it? Uh, the uh, a barbacoa, oh man, those barbacoa tacos, oh my goodness. Listen, if, you're, if you don't like pig and all that stuff, give me what you don't want, all right? Uh, but under the, we're not, no longer under that law, so you're free in that regard, all right? Let's all stand, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Uh, Brother John Happy, you just God's blessing what we just learned. We'll start, uh, we'll give it about a 10-minute break, guys. Get, let everybody stretch, go to the restroom. Start a morning service about 10 after. Brother, if you would dismiss us from Sunday school.